you talked a little bit about your deployment. Um, you said it wasn't that busy on your first deployment. No, first one wasn't. No. Uh, so let's fast forward a little bit. Get on to your second deployment. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, it wasn't. Uh, it was man. It was weird, right? So the the second pump was weird because I knew I was going to Afghanistan. And I knew I was going to like Apache country, and we get there and it's legit. I'm going back in time. Like these people were living in mud huts and living by the creed of whatever major religion was a part of their culture and um, tractors and some random pickup trucks maybe. And I was like, wow, this is, this is intense. Like this is, I'm going back in time. I have to gain all this intelligence from the people around me. Um, this is a real war. Like, all right, all right, cool. So what, what's your, what would be your job title, your responsibility oh, on this breacher, deployment? So. You're a breacher. Well, I was a breacher. I was a, um, assaultman. So I was like a team leader mm-hmm. in the assaultment group and a team leader with the 11th. So I'd usually be an assistant patrol leader or a patrol leader. Um, I would be either leading patrols or second in charge of leading patrols. Um, but I, I carried a ton of demo rockets, grenades on myself. So just in case. And, um, I know when we came over and we talked a little bit, uh, you showed us some pictures mm-hmm. Is this the same deployment, yep. the hill that you guys took. And you guys had to hold off for a little well, bit. Talk we to took us. that hill in January. Yeah. Uh, talk, and, talk a little bit about yeah. that. Talk yeah. about that hill. Oh, the hill was great, man. The hill was awesome because uh, we took the hill. We took some fire to get the hill, but uh, a lot of our friends, uh, some of our friends got smoked on IEDs trying to take the hill. But we, we took the hill and we got it and we lived up there. It was awesome. But it was a, you know, it was a legit hill that we took so we dug in with shovels that we uh stole from the local populace <laughs> and we, commandeered yeah we we dug in and we just filled maybe two thousand three thousand sandbags and um dug in holes in the side of this hill and how just long, lived there how long were you there that, that you well, actually I lived there for about five months five months mm-hmm. with nothing no nope. electricity, no running water, no phone, no food, no water. Just, just live there. So those that are that are listening that don't, you know, that are non-military, uh, thinking, well, what the fuck they do for water? Uh, we had uh, they actually issued us purification water purification systems to every grunt that um, was going over there. So. Mm-hmm. So I had, uh, we all had ways to purify our water. We, every single grunt had a purification system on them. So we would do that. And then once that ran out, once our like actual filters ran out, they got too dirty or whatever, we would boil the water or we would go to the town and um, ask someone to do it for us. So you guys never had any kind of like airdrop? Uh, airdrop. Oh, yeah. We had yeah. helos dropping shit off to us. But like... Th- we couldn't get helos to drop all this water to us every time. Right. But when it, when it came down to yeah, it, when like, it came hey, down need, to it, they would it. do it. Uh, so how did, in the instance of that happening, how oh, was it crazy when it happened? Was it, we I were just super walk out there fucking and get it? pumped when right. they would drop water off to <laughs> yeah. us. We were like, fuck yeah, dude. We don't got a fucking filter of water anymore. That right. was nice. Right. But you like dig through the water to, 
you get the best water. The best water was like this one company would make the better water than the other company. Was that Rippets? No, Rippets <laughs> Energy. So uh, it was like Kiowa was like the worst one. And like there was another water company that was yeah. like better. We I was found. It. I can't remember. I always found Rippets. <laughs> Shout out to Kiowa. Yeah, I always yeah. found out. I always found Rippets as being like the best water on deployment, apparently. So. Oh, you you lived in the big base. Though. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, hot shower. Well, we only had like the quarter cans, you know. Um, yeah, we had like a shower and stuff. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's true. We did get our showers. Hey, uh, he had to be in an area where they were like, hey, "All right, just spit on me seventy-five times. I'm gonna rinse myself off real quick." <laughs> He's in a that, hut. That's how it was. Yeah, that's pretty much how we it was. were like digging in. Like, fuck this shit. This is awful. We're <laughs> yeah. grunts, nah. but we were grunts. You know, like. Like to be a grunt, like you take a lot of pride in being a grunt. Like so, yeah. when how old were you then? Twenty one. You were twenty one. Oh yeah, I was like I was old. No kids. I was old. <laughs> uh, don't say that, man. Like we're the same well, age, man. Well, when you're twenty one, you got a rocket on your back and you're yeah. just fucking digging into a fucking hut. Your experience. Just, you feel old. You're like yeah, fuck. You feel it, much older. Old. Yeah. <laughs> I got a rocket on my back. I, 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 you know, and I'm, I'm writing a book right now about my exploits and stuff. And like, mm. my, the title of my book is like, I didn't know I was young because we don't, we don't know we're young. Like, right now, like, right now, you and I, us three talking right now, we don't know we're young. You don't know you're young. You don't know you're young. Nope. In, in 20 years, you're going to think about this conversation you have with me and you're going to say, hey, man, right. I didn't know I was young. Man, I was young when I was talking to that man. The kids came down here earlier, like, oh, remember when you did that? And I'm like, yeah, I do remember that, kind of. No, I don't remember that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know. Uh, so, you've been at the hill, taking it. Yeah. When does it? When does it feel like it kind of popped off? Oh man, I mean, it popped off pretty quick. Um, once the uh, A and A started losing their legs, um, that was weird. You know, because. Um, I'm up on top of the hill. I'm looking down, like looking around. Like it's just, I started seeing explosions happening. And, you know, that's weird. You know, and you're just like, it's not weird, weird, but it's weird. You know, like, explosions are normal in Afghanistan. Like, oh, yeah, that's, Afghanistan, you know, right. it's Afghanistan explosions. And then you start seeing more. You're like, oh, this is not one a day. One a day is normal. Like, oh, hey, you know. But like two or three, you're like, oh, this is kind of strange. Hey, uh, I got these explosions, and then you know, and then you know, people started losing their legs and their arms and stuff. So, okay, um, and they start getting their rips. How you know, like bullets past? Back. How many people were in this hill? Oh, just ten. Just ten. Ten There's marines. A, and what do you? What do you? Ten what, marines. What's that called? And then like three A and A. In the in the Marine Corps, what, what do they call that? Squad. Squad. Yeah, yeah. squad of marines. Up there. And how like. I well, guess. yeah, squad of Marines uh, supported by three snipers. And, and how, with your... Go ahead, but I was just curious. Well, we always, had, we always had two snipers. So we had 10 Marines, two snipers. All right, so you had 12 guys and... 12 Marines. Oh, two Get it of, right. Two Don't two ever of, say it again. I swear <laughs> to God. Um, so, okay. 12 that's Marines, not, sir. Yeah, that's not a fucking joke. So you had, you had, you had 12... I'll guys. hand him the knife to correct that. <laughs> he didn't bring it, remember? God damn it, you're right. He didn't bring the knife. And that room's locked off, so you're good. So uh, this is me and my dad at <laughs> Fisticuffs. <Yeah. laughs> Speaking of this, Mike, um, so you you have 12 Marines there, and how close, what, like, 
God forbid something's going down and shit's popping off. How close was your nearest um, backup or two miles? Two miles, but on, that's two miles through on ID foot? fields and farm fields. I mean, so it would have minutes wise. What would you say? Oh God damn, dude, hours. Oh really? Yeah. Okay, wow. It would have taken at least three hours. So you guys were pretty much left alone. Oh, for sure. Fucking for man. sure. Uh, uh, it was two miles from us, our biggest base, which was a hundred people, maybe in our biggest base, maybe a hundred people. But dude, like you can't, you can't get to us on truck. Right. So you're walking So imagine walking a couple miles, but all through checking for IDs, IED and, infested, yeah. you know, farmland. So it's you're sweeping the whole time. Yeah. So you're walking slow and sweeping. So it, it'll take you a couple of hours to get to me. Can you imagine the stress at 21 years old? Yeah, 21. 21 years old, walking every step. Is this my last step? Yeah. And at a certain point, at some point, it becomes second nature to you. Oh yeah, you don't even care. You don't. You're not scared of it anymore. It's like riding a bike once you've done it so long, right? Yeah, you're just like, all right. Well, we're gonna do the ambush, and um, we're gonna do the ambush, but we have to get through this field, and this field is super full of IEDs. But we're not gonna sweep because it's at night, and we don't need a light from the thing. So we're just gonna fucking chance it, <laughs> and where everyone's like, cool, and then you do it. And then you just fucking chance it. And then you just try and do your best and hope yeah. you don't step on an ID. And with 12 of you there, I mean, like, so the hill is what you guys named it. You guys named it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But I, that I, hill I was actually created by the Brits in the 1800s. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know if, like, there was a specific name for it, but you guys. No, it was the hill. Okay. Yeah. It was the biggest hill in the area, so we called I, it I did the see hill. a picture of it. It's and, fucking huge. Yeah, but in a picture, yeah, obviously, it doesn't portray the size of what it is. But it's probably. fucking big. It's a big hill. It's, it's, it's actually, it's at least the biggest hill that was in that whole trajectory of Afghanistan. Because there are other hills that are created by the Brits, uh, in the north and the south of our hill. But our hill was the biggest. It was a fucking huge hill. All right. We've gotten through deployment. Mm-hmm. Shit kind of popped off. Uh, yeah, 2010, yeah, the push. The yeah. Big one. When we were at dinner tonight, you made a good point. I didn't even think about it. Um, but your decompressed time. Mm-hmm. After deployment's over, you're heading back. Talk yeah, about- so... Uh, Let's talk about Afghanistan because that's like the best one, right? If uh, Iraq, you know, it was n- nothing, but uh, Afghanistan was like Vietnam, you know. So um, friends getting blown up, people getting blown up, A and A getting blown up, uh, fire fights, th- these things. Um, living on a hill, you know. I, I, fuck, man. I went seven months without a shower, seven months without electricity, seven months without a phone, seven months without, you know, anything. Like, I dug into the side of a hill and lived in a fighting hole. Um, and we operated out of that. So, we didn't have any way to talk home or call home, or we would have um, the helicopters come in and drop off mail and water and food and, and these things. So, Bullets, beans, band-aids. 
and that's just the limit, you know. Yeah, and, and you. We were fucking out there, dude. We were two miles away from any friendly unit. We were seventy miles from Pakistan. We were there, like I was out there with my Marines. You at dinner? Yeah. Why well, I brought this up is you were talking about your theory on World War Two and those guys coming home with oh the yeah, time so, to decompress. So. Even a Marine unit, let's say a Marine grunt unit, like myself. Um, we did the push in Afghanistan in 2010, 2011. We get out in May 2011, we're coming home. Um, we get two weeks of downtime in the big base, which I'm going to completely fuck this up. I want to say in Afghanistan, the big base, we Al-Assad was the big base in Iraq. It was like Edward or something like that. I don't know. God damn it. I cannot remember what the big base was in Afghanistan. But it was like the big base that they were all talking about. Like the Navy SEAL guy that was a politician. Uh, Dan Crenshaw. So Dan Crenshaw was talking about this base. A lot of other people talked about this base. It was like the base that everyone said they shouldn't have shut down. It was the base that they everyone said don't shut this base down. To, to get people out. Right. Like, if they didn't shut this base down, then we could have gotten everyone out in Afghanistan on proper time, and there would never been this thing that happened recently. God damn it, what was it? I cannot remember. It was... Because I remember being down south, and Hernandez, and The Hill, and KT4, and... Fuck, what was it? It was like that big base in Afghanistan that we flew into, but we heloed out of to go down south. Fuck, I can't remember. But anyway, um, these big bases is how we hopped out of. And then <clears throat> there were times that, na- that the Navy would ship some Marines back and then others would go by plane or... Is Most, that what we were talking about at dinner? Where like some guys had like two weeks to decompress, and then some guys had like seven months. No. So what I was saying is like in Afghanistan, there were very few mews that went over at least in the later years. Like when I was there in 2010, later years. But Iraq and Afghanistan, in the early years, it was all mews, so it was all floats over there. So they would go over for three or four months and fight, and then come home. Um, we didn't have that. Like, we flew over with an Air Force um, plane, and we would do seven months there. Uh, but if you floated over in a ship, you'd only do, like, three months of combat, typically. So if you're – I guess what I'm asking is, when, when we were talking at dinner, we uh, and I, I caught tail ends of it, um, but we were talking about how there was – either a two-week decompression time. Oh, yeah. As opposed to a yeah. seven-month yeah. or whatever so, it might be. Yeah, so uh, anyone that did a flyover, they had super, super small amounts of decompression time, like myself. Like, so I did a flyover to Iraq, and then I had, like, less than two weeks before I came home. Right. And then I had nine months of a workup, and then I flew over to Afghanistan, and then I, again, had, like, two weeks. But uh, just two weeks. Yeah, so it, it took me two weeks to go from Afghanistan to America. Like, it was just less than two weeks. But 
from when I got replaced on the hill to the time I got to America. It was like two fucking weeks. Let's let's go back to World War Two, where we had months and months and months and months. Of so, them. So, of course, the World War II veterans why are going to... And why did they have months and months and months? Well, the World War II veterans had months and months and months to decompress because they got Shipped thrown over. on a ship and they floated back to America. <laughs> I got sent on 12 a, miles an hour across yeah, the ocean. <laughs> and I got put on a fucking airplane and like, hey, you've had two weeks to decompress from fighting a fucking war and killing people and seeing your best friends get killed and seeing other random civilians get killed. Guess what? Um, you're good, right? You you're, had two weeks good. to you got deal two with weeks, it. Yeah. Yes, I, I think I'm good. Right. All right, cool. Okay. Get on the plane. You're leaving. Yeah. And then, in in days, I'm back in America. But in World War II, they had months and months and months to float home, talk to their friends about what had happened. They had all, they had almost a goddamn year. And they didn't have the like the interjections of like so like you know you guys come home and. You come home in two weeks yeah. from Afghanistan, Iraq, or wherever you're at, and you're back in two weeks. And, like, if you, if I'm thinking about it the way I would think about it is, if you're sitting on a ship for seven months, 12 months, whatever it is, to cross whatever ocean you're crossing. Um, yeah, Atlantic you, Pacific. Yeah. yeah, you have plenty of time to sit there and yeah. decompress with the guys who you served with. Yeah. And you're not you're not surrounded by... Which wouldn't be a bad thing, but it is a good thing to be surrounded by your brothers. It is, and, it is good, thing. and your veterans that. But you don't have the family. You don't have everything. All the distractions, and then, then you guys just come back to this real world where you're like, "Holy fuck!" Like, and that's 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 where. But the, you get that time to talk. About yeah, it yeah. For that amount of months on a ship in World War Two, right? But you've just you just faced fuck the Nazis. You just face fucked fucking Tojo and Japs for fucking however long. And then now you're on a ship and you're going home. And you know you're going home. And you know you have 12 months to get home on a ship. So you're going to talk about it. You're going to, you know, you're going to de-escalate the situation. You're going to have your friends there you where you had it happen. Like, let's say my best friend got blown up in front of me. I get to get on a ship. And I get to float home for fucking six months, seven months, 12 months, and talk to my friend about it. Right. And then by the time I get home, I've already talked it all out. Someone who was there anymore. Someone who was there with you. Yeah. And when it happened. But in. And that goes, that goes back to the friendships that we make in the military is that there's people that understand what you saw. They were right there with you. Whether it was boot camp. Or seeing your friend get blown up, is that they they'll always understand what you, what the shit that you've been through. And those and friendships are irreplaceable. Those you, you can't replace. But so you can say it with the fire service as well. Yeah. And that's that's the thing that nobody you can't come home and meet friends that can go through that shit with you. Because huh. one, you've already gone through it, so they'll never understand you. And it's you will never hold that against anybody. Any any civilian will never hold that against you. Absolutely not. Uh, but if it came to being there for my brother or sister uh, over a person that I met out on the street or at work or, or something like that, mm-hmm. uh, 
I would do whatever I need to yeah. to help help those those guys out. You know, like so like it goes back to what like we fourteen days you go from fighting like legit like hooking a jab and fighting for months, and then within two weeks you're back home. Right, like that's weird. That's not good. I don't think so. No, I I guess I don't. I don't understand it. I know you might think that the fire service or EMS service is all kind of the, the same. But you know, I don't think that. You know me well enough to know well, that. Well, you know, like we do. We I do. think you know. You know that I think that the fire service and the police service is fucking heroes. And I think that they right. do great things. And but we don't we don't deal with actually what you deal with. Like yes, I, I but could not you imagine deal with like fucking scraping kids off fucking sidewalks. Yeah, and you. Everyone, I don't want to do that, but you could. Yeah, but I want to do it. <laughs> but you, I mean, you didn't want to deal with some of the shit you had to deal with in in Afghanistan, you know? What I'm yeah, saying? but I, I do think that you firefighters are heroes because of what you guys deal with. Well, we appreciate I don't wanna, that, but you know, it's all it, the only difference between me and you is like you're not getting shot at. That's like the yeah. only really difference. I think I think at one point Ryan was pumping a fire and. And, uh, were, you, were you getting shot at? Fuck. Uh, <laughs> Ryan was pumping a fire in Atlanta. <laughs> I, 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 I just, I, have a, I hate that. I hate that veterans are looked at at this weird high level when we got firefighters and cops being treated the same way. And that's, that's what I really hope for is that, you know. Because like, I ran into a minefield to save kids. And I, I put a kid, I put a child's guts back in her body just to try to make her life, at the end of her life, better. Because I'm trying to make her okay and comfortable on her way out. And I had a little girl die in my arms, you know. Mm-hmm. And I never got shit for that, you know. And I'm sure a lot of you firefighters have had a little girl die in your arms and you didn't get shit for it. You know, you just allowed it to happen. You're like, okay, well. This sucks, but okay, we're gonna go back to our job because this is what happens. Like, goddamn, I mean, it must suck for you two. If you ever had a kid die in your arms, I've I've had three kids die in mine. I will. <laughs> it fucking sucks. I will say, um, pediatrics hasn't been. It's it's been my biggest fear. Uh, I've seen. I I can literally say I've seen almost almost everything, and. Uh, Pediatrics has been one thing that I haven't had. Thank, thankfully, you know, I, I know I got some brothers and sisters in the in the in the field that have, and I I, I care for them a lot. And uh, that's one thing I'm, I'm fortunate enough to say that I haven't had a bad pediatric call. And I sit back and I'm you know I'm waiting for it. You know, my, and I'm, my I'm first sp- my first bad one. I swear to God, I came home. Was it pediatric? Pediatric, my first bad pediatric call. I, you know, I can see adults and, and like even with my own kids, like what? Yeah, yeah. I've had my kid choke before mm-hmm. on food or whatever, and that's one thing. But um, before I had kids, pediatrics were a little bit different. Um, not as much as a soft spot. Then after that, or when actually it was when my wife was pregnant with my first child, um, I had a pediatric run that. I came home that night and I looked at her and I told her, I was like, Nope, I'll never be in the fire service. Like I'll never do it again. I was so torn up and like, 
Yeah. And that that, that, yeah, that that fucked me up. And that right there, I was man. I going to give you a hug, buddy. I'm so sorry. Well, oh, you, you guys, give you me guys got time to give a I hug while I talk. Uh, but that's that's the thing, it man. Sucks, like we, man. It sucks a lot. We have veterans who have seen some fucked up things. Firefighters may step back and feel like they haven't seen that bad of things and that they're supposed to kind of cope with it and just move on from it. Same thing with cops. And I... Cops see some serious shit, you know. And I'm glad that you and myself can come forward and say, hey, yeah, I do feel it. And I that, that's that's the whole premise behind this podcast is that we can get guys like you yeah. and and my host, my co-host Keith, to come forward and it's it, Coho. Coho. Coho Keith to come forward <laughs> and and say yeah. But that stuff does stick with us. Nah. You know, we do we do uh we do a good job of kind of coping with it. It's not that, that we're we're hiding it or anything, it's just a matter of the people who we want to share it with. Nah. If that may, if that makes sense, if that's no, the right word. Yeah. But there's there's there comes a time where you, you can read people and say that person needs somebody to talk to. And if you can be that person, if you can sit there and recognize that you're that person, that that person might be able to uh, feel comfortable talking with, then make sure you're that person. And that's why I would I would go to the end of the world and bat for the people that I've served with, whether it was uh, next to each other or just served during the time or they came after me or before me that I can sit here and relate to those guys. And even, even – even Keith, I've I've served next to, and um, now we've gone our own separate ways uh, within our career fields. But we'll, I'll always be available for for him, and even the the new generation of firefighters yeah. coming up. And I hope that uh, I could be there for my law enforcement, you know. And I hope somebody can come forward in the law enforcement field that's willing to come out and talk and be a voice for those for the, for that uh category of people to come forward but uh it's it's not it's not there's nothing wrong with coming forward and speaking your mind no, you know no, there's no, no there's not there's nothing to take away from you and we need to get rid of that stigma as if i talk about it uh, it's going to make me weak no fuck that you're probably the strongest person i know to come forward and talk about the things that you've experienced and actually say it yeah and and say it I'd rather have you next to me than the person that's not willing to admit that, thinking that they got to carry an image of no. the tough guy. Because the, actually, usually it's it's usually that guy too that 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 one person that you know will say who you know has done a ton of shit no. or seen a ton of shit. Oh, it doesn't bother me at all. Where it bothers them, it's not a visual for you. It's a visual for their family, their friends, like because they treat people different because of that. And if you can't actually express the fact that you know you were troubled at something like that, that's the problem. Yeah. Because just talking about something so small, like you know. To to a hundred thousand people, it might be something small, like oh, well, you know, this baby died in my arms, or mm-hmm. this kid died in my arms. That's, you know, like to some people, like oh, that's your job, like right. But once you have kids and everything, and like you know, everything hits you a lot different, and mm-hmm. it, it fucks 
with your mind. And th- so I, I, I want to go out and say that this podcast has been in the making for how long? How long? I mean, the idea is at least two years. The idea has been there for two years, at a least. year and a half. Guff, I met up with you and said, how can I, how can I do this without sounding like every other mm-hmm. podcast? What can I do to make things a little different, a little more on edge, a little more uncomfortable, but things that need to be said. And then I had a deployment in between there, came back, uh, and met some great people that really influenced me to say, you need to do that. And then I got with Keith sat in the hot tub one night and we decided like I had, I launched the motherfucker. You meet, you have somebody that has the same energy as you. And we just needed to kind of figure out where we were going to go from there. But so you, you, we've talked about decompressing. Mm-hmm. You get back from your deployment. What injuries did you come back with? Um, yes. <laughs> and I was 22 years old. And I went to the VA when I got out. And I was like, all right, cool. Like, like I'm home. I'm here. Just scream me for whatever. I need help. And they did, and I had uh, two bulging discs in my neck, and then three bulging discs in my lower back, and I had tinnitus in my left ear, no hearing in my left ear, a severe traumatic brain injury, and then severe PTSD. And I was 22, and the doctor like looked at me after all this shit, and he he looked at me and he said, "You're never gonna live a normal life. Like this is it, man. It's like a death sentence, essentially." Is what he said to me. And I said, "All right." He said, "You're never gonna be normal." And I said, "You're right about that." And then I started climbing mountains. And so you're you're <laughs> you're 22 years old. This is 2011. Yeah. Uh, 12. Okay, so the end of yeah. So 2011 October, I got out. And then 2012 of January. 2011, you got out. Yeah. Um, okay. And then right. 2012, January is when I got all of my shit. Okay. So you've been told the injuries you have. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's 2011. Mm-hmm. When did you separate? 2011. 20, 2011. October 2011. October 2011. Okay. January of 2012 is when I got all of my diagnoses. Okay. Like all of them, you know, my back and my neck and my TBI and my PTSD. Okay. So we separate in 2011. Tell us a little bit about your brothers that you lost, Wade and Robin. Robinson. Okay. So Wade was killed by an ID in um, Afghanistan uh, December 1st. So December 1st, 2010, Wade was killed. So he jumped on an ID. He didn't mean to, obviously. But he jumped across a river, Wadi, like a a tributary. So although uh, we have farming fields in Afghanistan and all the water feeds in. And he was jumping across one of those. He landed on an ID. And he was cut in half. And then, um, you know, we get past that. And then... 
the seven children get blown up and then I run into a minefield. Me and a select few of other Marines volunteered to run into a minefield to save those kids. And um, I was unfortunately the uh, person in the minefield that had the most amount of uh, medical training. So I was the person that had to, you know, bound between every patient and um, kind of uh, triage who would live and die. And uh, had a, you know, a little girl die in my arms. Um, had a, a little boy die in my arms too. So I had two kids die in my arms uh, that day. And we saved five, so that was great. And we got five on the helo. Uh, so I, I ran in and out of that minefield seven times that day. And this is the same day that Wade? No, no, this is weeks after Wade Weeks died. after? Yeah. Okay. When so, Wade got hit, it was there was nothing we could do. I mean, it was he, like total shutdown? Uh, a lot of guys. I wasn't there. Um, you weren't there for, for Wade's? Yeah, yes. so I was a little bit further north than when Wade got hit. Okay, so uh, that that coping, you find out Wade. Yeah, so I, I was on the radio. Okay, and, and in that time between the kids, what's what's that like? So Wade was hit. Uh, we get co- told that Wade was hit, and then we get told that Wade was killed. So within like five minutes, we were told that it was hit and then we was killed, uh, and that was that was absolutely the worst day of my life. Uh, just knowing that he was killed and that I was so far away that I couldn't do anything about it because um, we were thirty forty minutes away from a drive from from Wade. And then um, they put a bunch of us on a helo because when we was killed, they were having issues with, like, Marines getting fucked up, and they wanted more Marines down south. And then we got killed in an ambush and this and that and the other. And, all right, cool. So we all got on helos and went down south uh, to support what was going on. And then not long after we got killed, all those kids got hit, and then I was on that patrol, and then I Where did the kids come from? Uh, so what had happened was, it was like the big Garmzeer Bazaar-like show. So once a month, the Garmzeer Bazaar had this like big, huge open flea market and everyone from every province would come down and like sell and buy and shit. It was like open flea market. Okay. But there was a cemetery right next to them and all those kids were on a trailer and the Taliban blew those kids up because they wanted to pull us into this cemetery because they already implanted three other vehicle-borne IDs, like IDs big enough to destroy a vehicle. Um, so what had happened was, is they destroyed and killed all these kids and the Marines did run into that cemetery. So we did what the, we did what the Taliban thought we were going to do. They, they knew that the Americans would run into a minefield to save kids. They, right. they just knew that Americans would do that. But what they didn't plan for was Marines going into a certain area. So we went west to east. And they thought that we were going to go east to west. So they put all the IDs on the eastern route. 
but all the Marines came in through the Western route. So there was like three fucking huge IEDs on the Eastern route. But all the Marines came in through the Western route to save the kids. And then we found their IDs. And then we figured out that they actually backlaid on us for the Eastern route. Oh, those motherfuckers. They killed seven kids trying to draw us into an Eastern route, but we came in through the Western route and they didn't no they, shit. they didn't think that we we're gonna do that. So So they, they, they backlaid on us, they created this huge minefield because they knew the one thing that Americans hated more than anything was dead kids. And they knew that Americans hated kids getting hurt. And they knew that Americans would risk their life for kids. So they created this huge minefield fucking maze operation. But we didn't... We didn't react the way that they thought they would, that they thought we would. So we came in through the western route and saved all these kids and like, fuck! And they were like all pissed off. The Taliban was all pissed off that we didn't come through the eastern route. And we just by happenstance, just by luck, decided to go a different route. And that's how we saved ourselves from getting blown up when we were saving those kids. Because I ran through a fucking minefield to save those kids. And I, me and my friends saved five kids in a minefield all because the happenstance of going through an, an, a, a western route. So this was, this was weeks after Wade was killed. Yeah. Okay. So... Um... Let's let's talk about that leading up to coping with the loss of Wade. Mm. You're over in a combat field mm. and this pops off and this is good to talk about because it's kind of like the fire service or law enforcement, you know, you, you deal something mass with, casual with, event. with something traumatic. It was a mass casual event. I mean, it was seven children. Something that's traumatic. We thought that there were Marines. The issue, the whole issue was is like when I got to the minefield, I thought it was all Marines. I thought all Marines were in here getting fucked up. And I got to the minefield, and I, I looked back, and I told my squad, because I had a squad of Marines, and I said, hey, do the outer cordon, you know, point your weapons out board, you know, I need you to point your weapons in board. Like, no one's going in, no one's going out. You are fucking king dicks. Anyone comes in or comes out, you fucking shoot them. I don't fucking care. Right. And they're like, Gulf, what are you going to do? It's like, I'm going in this fucking minefield. And they're like, Gulf, what the fuck are you talking about? I was like, yes, I'm going in. Sorry. Fucking. Like, Gulf, you're the only person here that has kids back home. This guy yeah, I know. And I ran into this minefield to save these kids because there were already Marines in that minefield saving kids. There were already like two or three Marines in there. So I ran in to fucking link up with my guys, and I was the only one that had live tissue trainer, so that, that live surgical training. Right. So I ran in there and started fucking working on kids. Uh, this this really sits sits well with uh, with us. Um, you know, you, you have something traumatic really happen. Yeah, and whether it's traumatic. law enforcement, fire EMS, um. The next call comes in, and everything kind of draws a blank, a blank, and we move on to what's in front of us, mm-hmm. uh, and we're expected to just move on, move forward, and we don't ever have a problem with that. Um, but that's the stuff where things start to kind of build up. So you, or what people think that we never have a problem with it. Well, that we, yes, it's correct, portrayed that we but don't we, have a problem with it. These things build up. You you get out mm-hmm. and you 
move on to your separation. Yeah. Talk about your next brother that you lost. Yeah. So, yeah. So I get out and, um, I was, uh, I got in a fist fight with an officer the day after or the night after that whole issue with the kids because, you know, the officer and I, we never got, a, we never got along anyway. So I, I get my medal stripped for me. I never give my, my medal for what I did for those kids. So I get out and I don't, I don't want to be a part of the Marine Corps. I just want to be out. I, just, I don't want to fucking deal with anymore. So I become a police officer. <clears throat> well, not a police officer, but I, uh, uh, I work for the courts. I'm a courtroom security, and I do that for a while. And then I commit suicide, and obviously it doesn't work. And then the um, courtroom security says I can't have a job there because I tried to commit suicide. Like, All right, cool. So I'm, I'm working on finding a new job, and then and then as I'm working at Deaton's greenhouse doing landscaping and stuff like that because I lost my job. And this is all this is all transitioned back mm-hmm. into real world. Yeah. <clears throat> um, as soon as I get everything squared away, even after my suicide attempt, uh, my best friend commits suicide. Oh, so then I have to go down to North Carolina. And that's the big one because I go down to North Carolina and he has killed himself. My best friend has killed himself. And I, I didn't accept it. You know, my, my friend Dooley calls Robinson Gump. So like, nah, that's not true. It's, it can't be true. <clears throat> like, I just talked to him, like, weeks ago. Like, he's getting his degree, and he's got a fiancé. Like, there's no way Robinson Gump. himself. I get to his house, and he shot himself twice in the face. He shot himself twice, didn't take, shot himself again. Two holes in the ceiling, like, all that shit. His face was all over the ground. So I started picking up fragmentation of his face and put it in my pocket. Like, fuck, man, what the fuck am I supposed to do? Like, mom, I'm, I'm... Wait, you're you're still in? Are no, you still I'm in? out. You're, you're out. This is in America. You you head to his his house where he did or wherever. After he I was. got word that he killed himself, I'm heading to his home right now from Kentucky to the coast of North Carolina. So North Carolina is <laughs> like a, a five hour, six hour. Oh, it's a thirteen hour trip. Oh, so you're on the way east end of mm. North Carolina. Okay, so nobody knows anything about this. But mm. You got word. You head out. Mm. This is 13 hours later. Mm. And you're now walking in his house and you're picking up his face and putting it in your pocket. Yep, yep. So any of his skull fragmentation, his skin, anything like that, I put it in my pocket. Because mm-hmm. uh, his fiance is hanging out outside. So his fiance is outside the home with Dooley. And Dooley and I did... Iraq, Afghan together. Dooley and I are great friends. So Dooley's taking care of his fiance outside. <clears throat> and I say, yeah, I'm going to go in and cover anything up that might happen. <clears throat> so I go in the home, and I start covering anything up with blankets, any of the blood spatter. So she can go in and get her money or jewelry. Is there no cops there? No, just the uh, just like the, the cleaning crew. Okay. <clears throat> so the cleaning crew's there. I tell the cleaning crew, hey, chill out. I'll be back in a minute. And I walk in, and there's just blood and brag fragmentation and skull fragmentation everywhere. So I'm picking up my friend's skull and bones and skin, and I'm putting them in my pocket. And got, I got, like, a cargo pocket shorts on. <clears throat> I go in, I do everything, I come out. I tell his fiance, hey, go in, go get your money, get your jewelry, get everything you need. That's fine. I, I clean everything up, and whatever I didn't clean up, I threw a blanket over 
There's blood everywhere. I mean, this dude shot himself in the face twice with a 45. And I mean, there's blood everywhere. I did my best. She saw some blood. I can't do everything. But, yeah. You know, it's really difficult to... <clears throat> to... It's just not easy. It's not easy to... It's not easy to, like, tell, like, one of your best friends from the Marine Corps, like, hey, keep his fiance outside until I say it's okay. And he says, okay. And I walk in the house. Look at the roof, and there's two holes in the roof. And look at the fucking floor. And there's blood spatter everywhere and pools of blood everywhere. I'm like, fuck. <sighs> okay, fine. And I, like, throw blankets on shit. And then I just start picking up fucking skulls. I, like... Oh, this is a piece of my friend's face. This is Robinson's face. This is Robinson's fucking jaw. This is Robinson's tooth. And I just pick up shit. And I put it in my pocket. Like, I picked up my best friend's face. Literally. Put it in my pocket. I walked outside. And I went to the coroner who was there. And I just, like, grabbed, like, out of my pocket. And just, like, do you want this? And they're like, yes. And I like, just drug my hand. And like, pick up my... Like, like, I gave a random person's friend. Like, I gave some random... Some random person. I gave some face. random person my best friend's face. <laughs> like, it's the most fucked up thing you could ever do. Absolutely. It's just like, I... Uh, this is my friend. And this is his face. So, do you want it? <laughs> and, and the guy was like... Um, Yes. And he was like, grab. Like, it's just so weird to, like, I don't know if anyone ever, I, I don't know if anyone can ever, like, uh, like, comfort me in that or, like, be, or, like, oh, I've been there. No. Yeah. How do you, that's a good point. Like, how do you, how do you comfort somebody like that? What, I don't, what do you, I don't know. I just like handed some random person, like, hey, this is my best friend. This is the rest of his face that I found. So right. I think you need to have this. And he was like, yeah. And he looked at me like, at that, yeah. like at that time, uh, whether it was in the house or, or, you know, handing anything over to the corner, what, like, what was going through your head? I, I mean, just, were you just like, were you like more like, I, I, I've never had a best friend. I, you know, we, we've seen whatever, but I've never had a best friend in this situation. So I'm, I'm curious as to like, were you like, just like in blackout mode and just doing what you were trained to do in no, the military? No, I was definitely in blackout mode. I had, okay. I had no feelings. I was just like, right. here's my friend's face. Right. I was just curious because I didn't know if like it, it interjected in you that you were like, oh my God, like oh, this is happening. Up. And then you were emotional then, or if it took, you know, six hours, six minutes, well, whatever to be. After I handed off my best friend's face, Mosley shows up. So Mosley came in from, Mosley lived in Mississippi, I think. And he but, drove in too. Well, Mosley lost his leg in Afghanistan. So Mosley shows up and he, he doesn't have a leg. And him and his wife show up. And then all these other people from the unit start showing up. So I, I, I felt like, okay, yes, I did hand off Robinson's, you know, facial matter and bones and, and skin and stuff like that. Right. 
But now I got all these Marines from the deployment that had lost legs and, and arms and showing up because Robinson killed himself. Right. So like, I don't want to make them feel bad because they just lost their fucking legs. And so you're trying to, you're trying to be strong in yeah. front of them. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm lying a- to people. I'm like, Oh, it's fine. Like I didn't, I definitely didn't. I definitely did not pick up his face. <laughs> like I'm lying to him. <laughs> right, like, no, right. there's no way. I, like I, I no, I have no, no idea what you're no, talking about. <laughs> no, his face was not everywhere. And no. I did not put blankets on blood spatter. Like, no, it was completely clean. Everything's yeah. fine. No. Now that every other Marine you're is like here. You're like bandaging the situation. Yeah. I'm like, Oh, it's cool. Like you, you lost a leg in Afghanistan. You get it. You're fine. No, it was Robinson killed himself in a very normal way. And in my head, I'm like, Oh no, he fucking blew his brains out. You lost Wade. Mm-hmm. You lost Robinson. In combat. Wade outside of combat. No. You mentioned your attempt at suicide. Mm-hmm. Talk us a little through when you oh. decided. Oh, so my suicide is very normal, I think. Um, it was just, I was tired. I was just tired of being here. I was tired of being alone. I was tired of being a veteran. I was tired of being having PTSD. I didn't want to be a part of that. I was like, dude, I'm fucking done with this bullshit. Like, if I don't make it here, if I don't work out here, why why am I here? Like, this just seems weird to me. Like, I should be somewhere else, you know. So, you know, I tried to kill myself. So, so how'd you... Well, because I got super drunk and took my F-250, my Ford F-250 power stroke, and rolled it a bunch of times and hoping that my mother would never, ever think that I was committing suicide. And that's, you decided to to stage it. Yeah. Using oh, your vehicle sure. yeah. as a, as a, an attempt to cover up a suicide yeah. because I would never want my mother to think that I was committing suicide. No way. I wanted my mother to think that I was dead in a DOI accident or something like this. I would never want like I've you can look at my fucking entire past and my entire past is like protecting my mom. My mom is like my mom is oh my god, she's my best friend. She's the greatest thing that ever happened to me. My mother is a saint. She's my mother. That's what you, you said. Know, she's a saint, you know, she's the do my, it's my mom, you know? So previously, previously I asked you, um, you know, like, and I know people go through different suicide stages where they're like, oh, well, I'm just going to do it and I'm going to blow my head off. And I've been to a couple different yeah. um, suicide runs or attempts. And uh, the one thing I asked you, and this was not on the podcast or anything like that, I just asked you your last thought before you either turn the wheel or whatever you did. I don't actually know the story behind it. Um, but the one thing you did right before you did it, I was like, what went through your head? My mom. Your mom. Yeah. She's, yeah. My mom's fucking awesome, dude. Right. My mom, like, she, she was a single mom, you know, she was abused by a police officer, my biological father. Like, my mom was just... That woman went through more things than I could ever imagine. I mean, that woman, my mother is, she's a saint, dude. Like, my mother is as close to an angel as you could be, you know? And, and you say, like, and, and the, whole, and the way I, I look at it, and this is from me to you, 
Like yeah. this is one and one. Um, the way I look at it is like, I understand your mom went through a lot. Uh, I'm a father. Um, but what I have to say about that is what you have gone through and what your mother has gone through are two completely different things. You guys are two completely different people, but you've gone through so much. Mm. Like even if you, even if you made it as a team or whatever, what you guys have done, like even her, like no. it, you think that's huge. And then the average community is like, look what you've done for this country. No. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I know what, like we can be biased on anything we want to talk about, but what you've done for this country and what your mom's done for you, your mom raised you to be what you are today. Mm-hmm. And that last thought you might have had uh, before you, you know, tried something stupid. Um, oh, dude, my mom is. And, and and that's the last thought that went through your head. Which, my mom. Which is, you know what? It's horrible what you went through, but it's a blessing that yeah. that's what you thought about. And but, now you're at the point where you're here. You're here talking to us about this. Yeah. And this is like this is effervescent this is huge yeah but i would also argue not well not necessarily argue but i would say that um most of warriors that have gone to the marine corps infantry and have gone and fought wars like their fucking favorite people were their moms right <laughs> like most people that fight these wars and do this shit like their dads aren't present it's their mom that is always present like the people that fight through wars for this country their moms are their best friends and that's what I've seen in the Marine Corps infantry, at least, is like every Marine I've met, they came from a broken home, a divorced home, and their mom was their best friend, or their mom was their best person, or their mom was their most supportive. Like, mothers create Marines. It's mothers with absent fathers is what creates Marines. <laughs> yeah, I mean. And it sucks, I know, dude, but like, I'm telling you, man, like. But it's the truth. There you are. I mean, You're, dude, we're, we're every it time, every time I was, every time a Marine said, Hey Guff, let's go hang out on the weekend. We're going to my family's house. All right, cool. Where do we go? Their mom's house. We went to their fucking mom's <laughs> house. Like Hondo, the greatest machine gunner that ever blessed the fucking United States Marine Corps. Where did we go? His fucking mom's house. And she made me tamales and enchiladas. Yeah. You know? And like, when you come home to Guff's house, guess what? Mom's making Kentucky fried chicken and fucking Kentucky pork chops. You know? <laughs> like, that's just like what it is in the infantry. Like, the men that are fighting and fucking shooting machine guns and rockets and fucking killing for this country. Their moms are their favorite people and their best friends. And that's what I say about the Marine Corps, and that's what it is about the Marine Corps infantry. It's like, the Marine Corps infantry is stocked full of men that have zero fathers and great mothers. Yeah. And I think that that is a great thing about the Marine Corps. And I think it's a great thing about the military infantry in a nutshell. It's like, it's a whole bunch of boys that didn't have dads that have great moms that just want to Fuck shit up. Dude, my, I will say 100%, no matter what, like, my mom. My mom is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. Like, she is the reason that I am who I am today. Like, she is awesome with my kiddos, you know, my, my daughter, my son. Like, my, you know, and I, I, dude, the Marine Corps infantry is just chock full of fucking kiddos that only got their moms. I want to And that's mom. why we're fucking... 
That's why we are fucking nasty in a fucking firefight. Yeah, why do we have him? Like, yeah. Why do we have his mom on? We need to beat mom. <laughs> Mom's like, come on. Dude, dude, my dude, you, have awesome. a, you have a mom, like your brother's mom. Dude, my mom. It's always your mom. I had a buddy in. in uh, dude, think my about early the Marine Corps infantry. Like, why is it that the most nastiest, bloodthirsty, killingest group of people in the entire world, the Marine Corps infantry? Like, think about it. Like, they're the most bloodthirsty, nastiest motherfuckers in the entire fucking world. And they all love their fucking moms. <laughs> you know what? That's, that's their Why goal. is it? They're protecting their moms. That I think is a great... That's a, good, that's, a good, that's a good point. I think it's because they want their, their end goal in the end. The fucking civilian came up with that, Guff. <laughs> the all fuck? right, I'm out. I gotta go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, in all reality, I, I could see the same thing, like... My mother was my 100%. 100%. That's my inspiration. They want to protect their mom. I love my mother. I'm my mom's boy, 100% through and through. My mom. All right, we're going to get her on. My mom and I are too much alike. We butted heads. <laughs> but now that we've that I've grown up, like I've met your mom once and I love her. <laughs> I love my mom. I would love yeah. my mom to be on this podcast, man. My mom's awesome, dude. And be, she is it, like the least violent person. She is so nice and neat. Oh, and my mom is the most violent person. Like <laughs> my I, mom I, is like, yeah, no, don't smart <laughs> and fucking neat. And I get witty. it from my mom. My mom feels like she has to rescue everybody. <laughs> you go to downtown New York and some prostitutes getting fucking beat up by her pimp, and my mom wants to step in. Oh, no, <laughs> me, I swear to I swear to God. Hold on, my family's from New York. So I feel like my mom would be the same. You're just, was your mom a was your mama was your mama pimp and your dad a prostitute? Oh, that'd be backwards. <laughs> no, no, I said it correctly. Oh, okay. I see my, your mom. Yeah, she's 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 a, she's a boss she's man. A tough nut, but no, I mean, no, it's not just full of prostitutes and fucking pimps. Out I'm there. talking about downtown, like what happened. What happened there, I, stays dude? Is, there. You know what? To be honest, when we decide to just. Turn the mics on, mm-hmm. hit record, and leave our moms together in the same room it's to gonna talk. Be, it's going to be the best episode <laughs> ever. If I put my mom and my mammy, my mom's mom, my grandmother, my mammy. Ugh. I if, wish. I wish. I, 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 yeah, I wish my Nana was still alive to Dude, have my, my mom. mom and my mammy would cook you all some of the yeah. best fried fucking southern food ever. Yeah. And then tell you hey. why you're all fucked up. Hey. Yeah. Hey, don't, she would fucking murder you guys don't, at words. Don't invite us over because we're going to call you out on that and we're going to want food Dude, for Mammy. Come over to Mammy and Mom's house and you're going to feel real terrible hey, about your son. Hey, All right. Set a date. Tuesday. Tuesday. <laughs> set a date. My uh, mother would fucking eat you guys alive. Right. My mother is the greatest woman in the entire world, but she would let you know that you're fucked up. Good. Dude, so, my mom's the best. My mom's the best. But we we do like marine infantrymen. Like the reason we do the shit we do is because we love our moms. That's it. Like we're the premier amphibious shock troopers in the entire world. Why? Because we love our mothers, and that is it. Cheers to that. That should be a new uh, Marine Corps. Um... That should be a Marine Corps fucking thing. <laughs> like, that should be on the goddamn commercials. <laughs> do you cheers. love your mother? Cheers to that. For All sure. right, I got you. I got then you. kill so, everyone alive.